So it's been ages since we last spoke, because I don't know if you remember, we met in uh, Malaga. I do um, remember, yes, in San Pedro. You came along to one of Nando's training classes. Yeah, are you still based in Malaga? Yeah, I'm, uh, well, I'm just sort of about 20 minutes from where we, where we met up, so I live in Estepona. Oh, oh cool. Are you still, heading, you still going to Nando's classes then? No, I don't. He doesn't do any classes down here. I was teaching for Nando for a while. I, did, um, I worked up at the uh, training centre that he opened. I was the dog trick instructor up there. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you, because you told me that you, you're a super clicker, super trainer, clicker trainer now. That's right. That's, so tell me about that. That sounds awesome. That's uh, Kay Lawrence, uh, one of her courses. So I, did, I went over a couple of times and did a couple of courses with her. And um, I absolutely love Kay's way of training. Um, you know, every, everything that comes out of her mouth is just absolutely amazing. So... Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I've actually just been back there as well. Um, I think I said actually in my message to you, I went back for a seminar last week um, called Training Thoughtfully, which again, just, you know, great stuff, really good stuff. So, yeah, I've got my cap three. So um, I'm, uh, well, you're I'd a, say it's classed as super trainer, clicker train. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you're a bit of a super clicker. Yeah, well, it's what it is, isn't it? Um well, that's really cool, anyway. It is really um, so cool. I've got to admit, I still use a marker quite a lot, though, a verbal marker as well as a clicker. Um, yeah, well, isn't, is that a bit of a holdback from the Nando's classes? No, not really. I used a verbal marker before I met Nando. Um, uh, it's something that I've used for a long time, way before I started using a clicker. And so a little bit of it is hold, old habits die hard, but also I think sometimes when I'm doing tricks and things, it's actually easier not to have a clicker. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Nando really got me on the verbal markers. I, it's pretty much all I use now, I've got to be honest. Really? Um, yeah. So, but you actually prefer the clicker, do you? It depends what I'm doing. If I'm shaping a behavior, then I think the clicker is more precise. Um, I know that sounds strange. You can be really precise with a verbal marker, but I think it is just slightly more... It's more consistent. You don't get that emotion in your voice. It's just one consistent sound. And so, okay. so for shaping, I do prefer a clicker. I think, I think it does just, you know, it's got the edge on the verbal marker. But I think for, for general things, and once the behavior is basically learned, I think a verbal marker is great. And like out and about, obviously, it's much easier. You've got your, you've got your tongue in your mouth, you know. <laughs> you haven't necessarily yeah. got a clicker in your hand. Well, yeah, and I also use um, the verbal markers in classes just because I think a lot of pet owners find it easier than having the clicker as another thing to juggle in their hands. I don't know if you agree with that. Or... I do definitely agree with that. Um, on on the course that I've just uh, written and uh, has just been sort of made live through Dognostics and the Pet Professional Guild, um, one of the things that we concentrate on is, is obviously clicker training, but it's also using the ability to use a verbal marker because a, a clicker is great. It's got all these advantages like being concise and a consistent sound and stuff. But, yeah, if you've got um, a new pet owner and they've got treats and they've got a clicker and then maybe you give them a target stick and it's like... And a lead. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> Oh, I know. I've I've met a lot of dog owners that have kind of been put off clicker training through that, um, and then they really like the verbal marker training. And then I explain to them it's it's the same concept. It's it's just 
a different sound. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. What Sing so, K uses quite a lot, though, is a tongue click. So I don't know whether you've ever tried that. I haven't, but I'm pretty sure I've seen a video of Steve Mann doing it. Okay, yeah. So I use that too, too sometimes. Um, it's very simple. You just click your tongue. And it's actually, in a way, it's more precise than a clicker because a clicker goes... Whereas uh-huh. your tongue click, you just go... Sure, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's funny. Um, yeah, it's true, isn't it? There's just the crazy things we think of and do. Yeah. Chris, so there you um, go. Tongue click, more well, precise than a clicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, John was saying that um, Kay Lawrence had some really kind of out-of-the-box ideas and really interesting stuff. Um, so, I mean, and, and you've, you're kind of backing it up right now. It sounds, it does sound really interesting. Oh, definitely. I think, to be honest, um, I don't know about out of the box, but she, um, all her strategy, strategies really break everything down. She used what we call micro-slicing behaviors, which we all, we all do, or we all endeavor to do anyway, so breaking the behavior down. But she breaks it down and breaks it down again. And she looks at everything. Like she could talk about cues for a week. She could talk about reinforcement protocols and strategies for probably a month. You know, it's so in-depth and so precise. And so, yes, it really, it does really make you think about everything, which I think actually doing the caps as well did that. You know, when I first started, I did my cap one, then cap two. By the time I got onto cap three, I've got to admit, I was surprised at how difficult it is. But, wow, it, it improves your training because you really, really have to think about breaking the behaviors down and being precise and, um, you know, not just... People get into the habit of just sort of shoving food in in the dog's mouth, and there are so many ways to reinforce behaviours. And you know, the whole reinforcement—I'm going to call it the experience of the reinforcement. It's not just the piece of food. It could be the run into the fridge and the excitement. It's all part of the reinforcement process. And so, you know, you can—it's amazing. You can actually add energy to behaviours through the way in which you reinforce them. Or you can create, well, I'm sure you know this, you can create sort of stillness and calmness by reinforcing in a different way. And that's what Kay does. She really looks into everything in in depth um, and and makes you think, you know. um, She's always got a question. She doesn't necessarily give you the answer, but there's always a question. And then there's another question, and that makes you think of another question. Um, So, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, I, I thought it was so funny, actually, when I listened to uh, John's interview with you when he said he was training with Claire Russell. Um, so as soon as he said the name, I thought, oh, I know Claire. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just really cool that, you know, trainers are really thinking about the way they train and, and educating themselves. I love it. I love to hear that, that everybody's, everybody's progressing and learning and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's not until you actually see someone that's really good at training that you realise how good it's possible to get. Um, I remember when I went over to Spain and I, on the same trip that I met you and I started um, watching Nando train and I was like, wow, you know, I didn't realise it was possible to get this good. Um, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. That's right. And if you speak to Nando, he'd say the same about somebody else. Oh, I'm sure I, he that would. That sounds strange, but I've actually said that to him before. 
And um, he said, that, that's the amazing thing, because there's always somebody that you just go, wow, wow, look at that, you know. <laughs> and it is, it's inspiring to sort of watch them and think, oh, my gosh. And it also, it makes you want to continue your own journey. Um, I teach people, but I also continue learning, which I think is really important. And uh, actually, people like like Nando or, you know, somebody like Kay Lawrence or the seminar that I just went to, Alessandra Curlin, she's, she's actually a clicker trainer, but she trains horses. Um, and they're absolutely at the top of the game, but they're still learning. We're still, I think we're all, you know, we'll continue to learn and uh, there'll always be somebody better, but as long as we keep striving to do our best and to get better, I think that's the main thing, don't you? Absolutely. So tell us more about this seminar then. So training thoughtfully, um, what does that kind of entail? What was, I know you can't explain the whole seminar, but. Um, well, it was uh, Kay Lawrence and it was Alexandra Kurland, who, as I just said, she's a horse trainer from the States and uh, does amaz- amazing things with the clicker. And it was also Jesus um, Rosales Ruiz, who is a oh, wow. professor actually from the University of Texas. And uh, so we were looking at different concepts, um, mainly things quite in depth, but extinction processes and the process of resurgence. Um, We were also looking at um, applied behavior analysis and we were playing a game called Portal, which is, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the clicker game that that people play with people, i.e. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, um, you know, sort of let's give you a task to do and uh, we're going to sort of click you hot or cold or sort of thing with the clicker. Well, the portal game is much more precise. It's a, basically a table game and you've got lots of, um, I'm going to say like things like little buttons and objects and little cars and um, all sorts of different things. Some of them you're going to use as, as cues. Some of them you're going to use as reinforcers and you have a trainer and you have a learner. Quite often you also have a coach and you'll sit down and you'll work out what you're going to train and how you're going to train it. And the amazing thing is, Nick, it really makes you think about your training because you can sit there for maybe 30 minutes actually planning on exactly what you're going to do before you actually begin the lesson. And I think that is something that's a real take-home message for a lot of trainers, that they don't put enough planning into what they're going to do. And then they're not successful. You know, it the training sort of falls apart somewhere. Um, And so it was really looking at that, and you play the game, and uh, things start to go wrong, and what do you do if things start to go wrong? Well, actually, you just stop, and you say to your learner, okay, finished for now, and you go back and you plan it again. And uh, so it all comes back to this micro-slicing of the behavior. Um, But the reason the game's been developed, initially Kay developed it, and it's in order to um, improve the precision, let's say, in order to improve your planning and, and to set your learner up, up for success, you have to think about everything before you start. And, you know, it's, it's, it's planning it all, it's breaking it all down, and it's, you are not going to get your hands on a dog until you yourself can actually reliably teach the behavior. So it's basically don't teach it until you know what you're teaching. So I think, you know, it's something for us all to think about. 
It sounds pretty pr- pretty awesome. So is that a game that you actually buy or just a game that... No, you just you play of... it. If you go online, actually, you can you can have a look. There's a portal site, for example, on Facebook. You can have a look on there. Um, they're actually using... The protocol is being used for research purposes at, let me think, at, at the uh, North Texas University. Uh, so Jesus Rosales Ruiz, um, I'm going to say undergraduates. I think I'm correct saying that. Um, they're actually... Looking, they're playing Portal, but they're playing it in such a way as to um, bring about new scientific evidence of, for example, applied behavior analysis and the process of, a, of resurgence and the process of extinction and uh, positive reinforcement, everything. So it's being used for scientific purposes as well. So Kay started using it. She, she was the one who invented the game, let's say. And she started using it just to improve trainers' skills. Um, but now it's, it's gone on from there, and it's actually being used for scientific purposes. But, yeah, all you need to do is go to your local, I'm going to say your pound shop or whatever, and buy loads of bags of, uh, I don't know, buttons and dices and little cars and things that you can use to interact with and things that you can use as reinforcers and and you sit at your table with your friends and uh, you know you play the game so it's it's quite a thoughtful game it is all about the the title of the seminar was absolutely spot on it's training thoughtfully and that's you know really what it all comes down to training thoughtfully yeah I really like the idea of these kinds of games I remember um, people playing similar games to um, you know so you would say you would watch a program on TV and then you would dedicate a word and then every time you heard that word you would click. So similar kind of games to trying to improve your skills as a trainer. That's I think there's Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a really kind of cool games. Um they're probably not done enough I would say. I I, I don't hear enough I've don't hear a lot about them. Um so it's pretty cool that you brought them up actually. Yeah, no, I don't think they are done enough. And I, I think the reason um that for example K puts so much emphasis on it because a lot Every day at the seminar, actually, probably half of the afternoon was spent playing the games. Um, and, uh, you know, it is very much that if, if your skills aren't good, your training's not going to be that good. And you shouldn't be trying to improve your training with your dog. You should improve it before you actually start messing up your dog, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> Before you start confusing some poor animal. Exactly. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, like, our dogs are so, so forgiving. Because if I think back on the errors that I've made and probably still do make, because obviously we're all human, um, you know, it's amazing that they do. They learn despite what we do. But obviously the minimal amount of errors that we can put into our training, the better and the more quickly they're going to learn and the less frustration there's going to be on both parts both for the uh, for the learner and, and for the handler no? so so yes it's all good so you're right um, I think more emphasis does need to be put on things like this and if you can have fun while you're playing a game then better still no yeah well I, I mean I think Jambo when I met Jambo in Malaga he's pretty awesome though isn't he um, you say that you've made mistakes but he's he's a pretty solid dog he's pretty cool yeah he's he's a good lad he um, he yeah, let me think. I think by the age of... He'd got his first trick title by the age of seven months old. And by 15 months old, he was the first Staffordshire Terry to be a trick dog champion. So that's not bad going. So hopefully I didn't make too many errors. 
<laughs> so you must have got him as a puppy. Is that right? Yes, I did. He was about nine weeks old. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, and not only his kind of tricks are impressive. When I met him, he was super social. Um, says so you must have done a pretty damn good job on his socialization as well. Um, absolutely. Like, I obviously worked on everything, and I think, um, I was going to say because he was a Staffordshire Terrier, maybe I did even more than I would normally do. I'm not, I, I'm not so sure about that, though, because actually my German Shepherd's pretty well socialised as well. Um, but, yeah, because of the breed-specific legislation and everything over here in Spain, um, I wanted him to be absolutely, you know, beyond reproach, if you understand what I mean. But, um, I'm not going to say perfect. He's not perfect. I'm not perfect, you know. Um, but I did think it was really important that I taught him everything that I could possibly teach him. And, uh, you know, when I talk about tricks, to be honest, Nick, I call every behavior a trick. So whether I'm teaching a stay or a recall or a leave it or a spin or a twist, I call it all a trick because um, I think that's sort of really good um, for getting across to people actually that training should be fun and it doesn't matter what you're teaching, it should actually be fun. Sure, the, the dog doesn't know the difference between a trick and a, a stay or a sit. Um, we do, in my classes, we mix up, we mix the two. I, I mean, I, f I think it's fun to teach tricks. And personally, I would find it boring to do a class where we only did, you know, sit, stay down for the, for the whole hour. Um, so, yeah, I always, I always like to mix in, you know, so-called tricks. Um, like I said, the dog doesn't really know the difference, so does, does it? That's it, that's it. And like I say, I actually, I just call every behavior a trick. It doesn't matter what it is, we're teaching it as a trick because it's going to be fun, and so, well, you just said it actually. The dog itself doesn't know that, for example, stay is a manners behavior or an obedience behavior, and that twist is a trick. You know, it's just learning. They're all, uh -huh. they're, they're all different things that we're learning, and so um, I think especially for pet dog owners, if you could sort of say, okay, we're having a trick class in which you're gonna learn um, you know, the manners, the obedience, you're going to learn absolutely everything, but you're going to learn it and teach it while you're having lots of fun. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that surprised me when I came over as well is is the laws in Spain are quite strict, aren't they, in terms of you have to... It's, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but you have to muzzle certain breeds. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, from the day Jambo was born, he was um, classed as a dangerous dog, which I think is very sad. So, um, you know, whatever training I do or however he behaves is actually uh, pretty irrelevant. He's classed as a dangerous dog. Um, so, well, the law actually is that once the dog is um, 20 kilos in weight, then they have to follow, you have to abide by lots of different restrictions. But um, I can remember this, this is quite funny because uh, you have to go and register your dog. And uh, I said, well, when, are the when do I have to start abiding by everything? For example, the muzzling and on leash. And they said, when he's 20 kilos. I said, okay, so perhaps never then. And they said, yes, when he's 20 kilos. I said, well, he might never be 20 kilos. 
you know. And so is that regardless of breed or? Uh, well, no. Initially, no. Yeah, yes, now, sort of, which I'll come to. Um, but what it was as part of the breakdown of the breed legislation here, one of the points, there are lots of really silly points, but one of them is that when the dog is 20 kilos. Another part of the breed-specific legislation, the classif- uh, classification, should I be, of the, say, of the breeds, is a dog with a broad face. Another one is a dog with short hair. And so <laughs> yeah, it's the same, actually, in the UK, um, that the, the type, as they call it, so when they're looking for a pit bull type or a stuffy type dog, They've got all this this language, and, and it's, a like I said, a dog with a, a wide muzzle, a dog with broad shoulders, a dog with uh, short hair, and a dog that weighs 20 kilos or more. And all of these things, when they add up and go tick, 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 that brings them into this classification that comes under breed-specific legislation. Now, there are also named breeds. Um, for example, in Spain... Um, well, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier is on the list of uh, of dangerous dogs, as is, let me think about this, I don't want to get this wrong, the American Pit Bull Terrier, um, the Rottweiler, the Dogo Argentino, the Phila Brasileiro, the Tosa Eno and the Akita Eno. And in some areas, which this is how it gets even stranger, all Mastiff-type dogs are included, and in other areas, all German Shepherd dogs are included, and in other areas, all Dobermans are included. So just to make it slightly more confusing, the same legislation isn't applicable through the whole of Spain, i.e. different areas. They have the same eight breeds, but then different areas include other breeds as well. Um, And, yeah, it means that whenever he's in public, he's... uh, got to be muzzled, he's got to be on a short leash, um, a metre long leash. At home, he's got to be kept behind walls that are at least two metres high, or they say kept on a chain, which, like, how crazy is that? How do we yeah. make a dog dangerous? Like, let's chain it. Um, and that's part of the legislation. Um, if people come to your home, your dog's meant to be put in a secure location, they have to be registered with the town hall. He can't go near any area designated for children, so he can't go anywhere near playgrounds and parks and schools. Um, Which has actually meant that when you mentioned that when he was little, he was really well socialized, and he was. Um, Which, thank goodness for that, because now, to be honest, I can do very, very little socialization with him. Um, He gets very little opportunity to interact with, for example, other dogs or children or anything like that, unless, you know, we're at home, um, because we can't go anywhere near a park or a playground or a school. (laughs) Yeah, and the crazy thing is, it sounds like those restrictions would actually, or could actually create problems. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Just, well, just exactly what we said, like with the socialisation, you know, well, let's chain the dog in a yard instead of, you know, taking it out and, and socialising it and working on on its training. and it, It's just absolutely nuts. So, anyway, he has to be registered with the local town hall. Um, I've also got to have a, a dangerous dog handler's licence, which I've got. 
Um, so I had to have a psychiatric report, um, no criminal record, a physical report stating wow. that I'm able to handle him. I've got public liability insurance um, for quite a lot of money. I can't walk or transport more than one dangerous dog at a time. I'm actually, my license allows me to have five dangerous dogs, but I can only take one out at a time. Um, so, for example, I've got Tessa and Jambo and Tessa the German Shepherd. So I wouldn't want to move, for example, to the next province because then German Shepherds are also classed as dangerous dogs and I wouldn't be allowed to take them out together. Um, it's madness, isn't it? It's absolutely mad. And the the fines for any infractions are up to 115,000 euros. And the authorities actually have the right to seize and destroy if they see fit. So, you know, um, it's it's not good, basically. It's not good. And the reason that it really, really, really annoys me is it does absolutely nothing to lower the incidence of dog bites. And... It actually encourages mistreatment of these dogs. The people with these dogs, they go underground and, and a lot of the times it actually encourages the wrong sort of person to want these dogs because they think, oh, yeah, I want one of these, these dangerous dogs. Um, it just, yeah, it absolutely, it drives me nuts. Um, as you know, like breed-specific legislation is um, sort of a big... It's a topic that's pretty close to my heart because of Jambo. Um, it's one of the reasons, actually, why I started his Facebook page to not only sort of promote force-free training, um, but to also try and advocate a little bit for the breed and sort of say, you know, hang on a minute, it's it, it's not the breed, it's it's the people, it's it's what the people do to the dogs rather than the dogs themselves. Like any dog can bite, and I think that's the other thing as well. By classifying certain dogs as dangerous, are we saying, well, none of the others are, so you're okay with those? Do you know what I mean? It's almost like lulling people into a false sense of security. And, and as sure. I said, it hasn't lowered the incidence of dog bites anywhere. It costs the authorities an absolute fortune to implement these laws that don't increase public safety, um, that take no account of the dog's behaviour. And like I said, it drives the irresponsible and abusive owners sort of further underground. It, it, it is. It's absolutely crazy. I'm actually on the steering committee of an organisation called Dog Gone Safe. I don't know whether you've heard of them. Yeah, they do. I mean, this is changing the... Um, is, is that the same organisation as Dog Gone Good? Exactly, yeah. They're related to each other. And Dog Gone Safe is the organisation that... We have um, a programme called the Tree programme, for example... Um, that people go into schools and they teach children how to behave uh, safely around dogs, you know, how to be a tree that if a dog comes up, you just stand still, plant your roots in the floor, don't move, pull your branches in, put your head down, and, uh, you know, rather than sort of screaming and running around and etc. But we also try and teach quite a lot about canine, the importance of canine communication, um, which I think is important for not just for children, but for I think there are so many adults who've got no idea, you know, what a dog's body language actually means. Um, and so just bringing it back round, I, I honestly think that education is the key, that, we sh you know, we should have breed-neutral laws that are applicable to absolutely everybody rather than focusing on certain breeds. And I think we need to educate, educate, educate. Um, and I also think we probably need to, and 
introduce licensing laws, you know, on on both people who are breeding dogs and um, and actually on on dog owners. You know, I think there's so many other things that they could do that would actually be effective, rather than sure. than the breed specific legislation that just penalises. Um, Penalizes people for absolutely no reason. Like I say, you know, Jambo's classified as a dangerous dog. Why? Because he happens to look, you know, he was born looking that way. Um, well, that's the, that's the great thing about um, your page. I, I mean, I know that not everyone's going to get the chance to meet Jambo, um, but he is obviously a, a super social dog. Um, and, and that's how, how I've been keeping up with you through your page, just, just following your posts. It's really cool to kind of, see how you're getting on and everything which that's absolutely great and hopefully you know hopefully i think he he has inspired quite a few people actually to start sort of training we've got well we get messages from people saying you know oh we used to think that stuff is for dangerous but you know now we've seen jambo and oh i didn't think i'd ever be able to do anything like that but now i've watched how you train and and my dog can now do this and that and you just think oh that's really cool actually you know that through a page and through sometimes, you know, sometimes all we're putting on there is a photo saying have a nice day or whatever. But hopefully it is just helping, helping to make a difference in, in some way, which, uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're doing your bit. I think maybe the people that do have this prejudice are people that haven't been around staffies or any of these kind of so-called dangerous dogs enough, really. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think, um, you know, we can all be slightly afraid of, of what we don't know, let's say, of the unknown. And unfortunately, this this myth of, we'll say, staffers or pit bulls uh, has been propagated by the media. Um, you know, let's face it, if there's a dog bite incident, then they'll always say it was, well, in the States, they'll call it a pit bull type, and in the UK, it's probably a staffy type, even if it's not. Um, there may well be more incidents, for example, of, of pit bulls biting in the States, but that's because there are more pit bulls than any other dogs. You know, it's just a case of, you know, statistically, it would be absolutely amazing if there wasn't more bites from those breeds when there are so many of, of that breed. Um, but it, it therefore it, it engenders the fear, and you know people are they're frightened of, of what they don't know. I think most people that um, have either got, for example, a Staffordshire Bull Terrier or a Pitbull type dog, um, or they know somebody that's ha- has, or they've had a chance to interact with them, you know, they, it, a little bit of a generalisation, but you know, generally. They are very social dogs. I think when they're not, a lot of it is down to, um, I'm going to say, bad breeding and, and perhaps inappropriate owners. I mean, I, I, when you actually go into the bite statistics, there's a lot of kind of things that you might not expect if you were, you know, ignorant to them. Um, and, you know, things like Labradors are being, being very high on the bite statistics. Yeah. I did, I did a little bit of work with the post office and the the breed that they warned me about is golden retrievers. So it's you know it's, yeah. Yeah. it's funny. It's not necessarily what people think when you actually go into statistics. That's right. Very true. Very true. And I think um, I'm, I'm trying to remember they did uh, some temperament testing in the uh, United States, and the pit bulls came out with something like. 86%, so amazingly, amazingly good temperaments. And, and other breeds that you'd expect 
like you say, like you, for example, we'll say the golden retriever. Um, don't quote me on that because I'm not actually sure. But other other breeds that you would think are really friendly dogs, actually, their temperament tests were like, whoa, not good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that's obviously that's not to say that those breeds are, are aggressive. It's just making the point that mm-hmm. it, it doesn't come down to breed. It, you know, it comes down to um, you know how well they're bred, how how they're brought up, etc. Um, that's it. That's it. Which is what sort of um, in a way what I was saying about there should be more legislation. I think legislation and licensing regarding uh, breeding and um, you know actually having having any dog i th- i think there should be more legislation in in that sense that people shouldn't be able to just indiscriminately breed any dog because what what's happening as well for example you you know let's say, let's take um your Staffordshire bull terrier who are the people that are breeding them and what are they breeding for and that's then when the lines start to deteriorate and that's when you could well start to have a problem. And a lot of that, it's, it's just to do with economics. Um, it's got nothing to do with the welfare of the animal. Unfortunately, I, th- I think we're starting to see that in more and more dogs anyway. And not just staffies, but, you know, people that are placing the look of the dog um, or how well it would do in the show ring over the temperament. It's, it's craziness. Definitely. Ab- absolutely crazy. And you're right. It affects so, so many breeds. And in a way, I hate to talk about breeds because I do really think, um, obviously, genetics have an impact on a dog. Um, you know, we're not going to deny that. But I think the, um, the let's call it the nature nurture, I think, I think the environment and the way that the dog is, is raised and educated etc has has a massive impact on it on its character and therefore all dogs are really are individuals just the same as all people are um i actually it, it makes me laugh when people say oh it's usually the yorkshire terriers or the chihuahuas they bring up and say oh they're much worse you know they bite a lot more and i say well actually you're doing exactly the same thing now that people say about staffordshire terriers you're no, you're now doing the same <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. I mean, I've come across people that have Akitas but will swear that Rottweilers are the worst thing in the world, you know. And it's just like we we need to get together and realise that it's not breeds. It's, it's you know, it's it's ridiculous. That, that's it. And and I think as soon as you start saying, oh well, this, you know, they're much worse. Well, actually, you're just stereotyping in exactly the same way. You know, you're doing what you're. Uh, I see it so much that people say they're advocating for a breed, and actually. They're not doing the breed any service because, um, you know, they're, they're speaking about in the same way about other breeds. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well thanks, for, thanks for talking to me anyway, Louise. You're um, welcome, Nick. Nice, nice catching up with you. Well, t- tell people where they can kind of follow you. And your so you've got your Jambo page. Yeah, well, Jambo's on Facebook, and his page actually, if you look up Jambo Staffy Bull Terrier Trick Dog, or it's uh, www.facebook.com forward slash Staffy Champion. Um, so that's Jambo's page. Um, I'm the membership manager for the Pet Professional Guild in the British Isles. 
And if you want to find the Pet Professional Guild, you'd go to www.ppgbi. So that's Pet Professional Guild British Isles, PPGBI. And actually, Nick, that's a really good one for all the pet owners that may listen to this because there's loads and loads of free educational resources and articles for pet owners. For trainers, you can sign up and there's absolutely a myriad of of benefits. The pet owners, they can actually join for free and take advantage of of loads of resources. So that's definitely a site that I'd be having a look at. And and you also have a YouTube, don't you? Because I I link people to your um, hand touch video. We do. We have a YouTube channel. And uh, our YouTube channel is actually, you can search under my name, which is Louise Stapleton Frappel. Uh, the actual channel's name, let me get this right, it's in Dog Tricks Online. Awesome. So that's Dog Tricks Online. So, yeah, I, to be honest, Nick, I've got so many things going on at the moment. I could do, uh, like, I don't know how many different websites. <laughs> I've just released a course for Dognostics Career College and the Pet Professional Guild. Um, called Trickmeister, and in that you can, it's basically teaching both pet professionals and uh, pet dog guardians how to train using obviously force-free training methods, Um, and it's teaching every single behavior you could think of, and along with that we've just released some trick titles, so yeah, I could sort of go, okay, go to this page, go to that page. <laughs> okay. Jambo is Jambo is Staffy Champion and the face and sorry and the YouTube is Dog Tricks Online. And hopefully if people go to the YouTube channel they'll see loads of, sort of free entertaining videos and things that you know may or may or may not help them but will hopefully entertain them. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. You're more than welcome, Nick. Really nice catching up with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.